This is The Guardian. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. How should we change football? Could we put together a folder of ideas and hand it to FIFA? Possibly not, because getting rid of FIFA would probably be on page one. But from governance to goal kicks, from changing the whole pyramid to changing the size of the corner quadrants, you've sent hundreds of ideas. We've put together the perfect panel to work out what might work and what is frankly stupid. Unless you think the game is perfect, you might like this podcast. This is the Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, bringing sensible and thought-provoking ideas, Philippe O'Claire. Good morning to you, Max. Bringing the hot takes, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Jarrett Bryan. As soon as, soon as you intro, Philippe, I knew what was coming. You set me up there. Good morning, Max. Good morning, guys. And uh, bringing the shiny jackets, Archie Rintuck. Welcome, Archie. Good morning, Max. Hey. You have it. Did you? Did you? Um, for the, for the benefit of those who uh, didn't have the UK coverage, and half our audience aren't in the UK, Archie was on Channel 4 doing the England game, wore a very shiny uh, jacket, sort of not classic pundit or expert wear. I wonder, did you upset any proper football men? Was this kind of, that's it, Channel 4 have got football, and now there's someone in a colourful jacket, I'm done with the game? Yeah, it, it, it got a mention in... A Daily Mail article and a Daily oh, well Express done. article, which I think is 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 PFM bravo. territory yeah, at all. So <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I I was happy, and and the best thing as well is it took it took seven tweets of of like this is how woke Channel Four are, and I was like, what. I've, I've had a lot of lovely comments about it, to be honest. But all right, lads, as you want. I mean, the funny thing is, I I, I thought Channel 4 might do it. There's only so many ways you can do live football. I actually thought they might do it more differently. That You know, it's actually quite sort of, I don't know how else you do it, apart from get some people to talk about the game that's about to happen, right? You know, and then talk about it afterwards. So I liked, it didn't feel, it didn't feel like they went in, I mean... You know, the Mail and the Express will take anything. If they can put woke in a sentence and get angry, then they will. Well done, Archie. Uh, I enjoyed it. Um, now, look, we have to thank Casper for this podcast because he sent a tweet going, could you please do a pod or five on all the changes that you and the panellists think should be made in football? So I've kind of split it up into like governance, uh, sharing the wealth, uh, the pyramids, then kind of on the pitch rule changes, and then ideas that might seem stupid but might not be and then ideas that are <laughs> stupid so we'll try and get through we'll try and get through all of those and we begin with this question from uh uh love and kansas does the panel think we'll ever get to the point where the game stops having fifa uefa acting as both a governing body rights holder and competition organizer chris saying if we agree on the premise that fifa in its current state is broken what is the solution is it huge reform or a proposed replacement body structured differently how would you get there what is the football version of of a revolution. Philippe. 
And that's probably the whole podcast, lads, but you know. <laughs> I think it, uh, it, when you say FIFA is broken and the model of governance is broken and we should do something about it, I think the answer to that is to break it down even more. The most rational means to achieve profound transformation uh, of the governing body, FIFA, and the confederations, which are uh, events organizer, is to break them in different constituents. Uh, a huge part of the problem of these huge of these bodies is the fact that they are judge and party. In a way, they're in the dock. Uh, they're the prosecution. Uh, they're the defendant. They're the jury, and they're the judge. Which means they can basically do whatever they want, and there is no outside control on what they're doing, apart from perhaps um, you know look at the financial affairs, governments, police, and so forth. But that is not enough. So you've got to break it down. Think of it like you know think about um like a mega trust who suddenly will would own every single thing you can buy in this particular field. Well, there are antitrust laws, right? Which means that you have to break down this company because it's become too big for, for the good of, of everybody. So that's the rational way of seeing it. But then you have got the big problem, Max, which is, let's admit this is the way forward, right? But who is going to implement it? When are you going to get that gigantic turkey to vote for Christmas? And the answer is never. So it's going to come from the outside, all the changes we have seen in, in FIFA and that we have seen in federations, confederations, but also in, in other sporting organizations is when you have external influence. Like, for example, the problem of doping in cycling, in particular, was not dealt with because of uh, anti-doping agencies. It was actually put in the, in, in the limelight by the intervention of French police on the Tour de France. This is how it happened, if you remember, the whole Festina thing and people discovering what EPO is about and so forth. So I'm afraid it's got to come from the outside. Now, how can it come from the outside? Now, if you've got enforcement agencies which are willing to do their job, and some of them are doing their job, think of what uh, the FBI and the US Treasury did uh, for the so-called FIFA gate in 2015 and the trials which have followed that, but it only addressed a, a, a little part of the, uh, of the problem. The main thing is also pressure, which is applied from the outside, both on the, on, on the people who could do something like police, justice, and so forth, but also the organizations, which is the stakeholders, which is you, which is the people who are listening to the podcast, the fans, the people who buy subscriptions to watch football on, on their TV channels, everybody. Um, so it's got to come from the basis of the pyramid. Because unfortunately, the other stakeholders, like the federations, or the member associations, they are part of the problem because they are functioning exactly on the same model. So it can only come from the bottom. The players, Fifth Pro is actually, I think, um, somebody who is worth thinking about. It can come from association of clubs um, and it can come from the fans, absolutely. And if you have this, you might be able to lift um, this huge pyramid, put it in the air, let it fall back and be destroyed because otherwise we're going to carry on and on and on having the same conversation for years to come. And um, sorry, it's a bit late now. Uh, I'll have to go to bed. Um, <laughs> I've got, I've overrun my time. I'm sorry. <laughs> Archie, Archie. I want to see that vision for football that, that Philippe outlines there. I think that as, as of course he knows as, as well, the, the current status quo is, is so convenient for so many people that even in places where you wouldn't expect it, maybe in in, in, in whether it's in TV, whether it is for um, certain fans, because it would affect which clubs have 
control of the game as well. And those clubs have millions of fans to which it is convenient for them to obviously stay on top and be and be top dogs. So it's going to be I, I, I can't ever see anything changing. Sorry to rain on the parade so quickly. Um, in in the immediate future. Well, you know, what what are we aiming for? Like if 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 it was all possible and it was a complete utopia. You'd want more teams to win, Max. I think for a start. Uh, says the Fulham fan. Uh, it would be nice if if things could be shared out a little bit more, and that whilst of course there's still room for these these big traditional clubs to have their place, that also there is there is room for for good good work um, being done elsewhere, and it's it's not just being down to how much money do you have and which oil state is is backing you. I think that that's what I'd like to see. But the biggest problem for me, I don't think enough people care about how the game is run. And I mean that not in a slight against those people. It's just you have to consider what football is to so many people. A foot like often, and I, I hear it used in, in a derogatory term in terms of a football fan. Like what does that mean to to people on the outside of football? And I'm, I know from uh, from from family and family friends that oh, you know, football fans are they're hooligans, they're yobs, they're this, they're that. And I mean from other people as well. And and the fact is that the the truth is most football fans who go to a game are very normal. And that actually the way that a lot of people just watch the game is it is their it's their time off, it's their switching off event, and whilst I, I think that it would be good if people could speak up more against, you know, what's happened at Newcastle, for example, which I think is the tip of the iceberg. I actually have some sympathy with Newcastle fans. That's a different point. Uh, I think that, you know, it's about realising that football has become such a beast that it's so disparate in terms of just how people engage with the game. Yeah, I think just to kind of add to that as well and to your question, the utopia for me is a group of individuals that they're normally men, men and women, running the game globally with the best interests of the game at heart. But as we see with any corporation, any multi-billion dollar industry, greed gets in the way. And I think when greed gets in the way, you make that that alters your decisions and on, on, on how you govern a particular business, organization, or in this case, an industry. So I think the utopia is to have one person that's in post for a particular period of time. I don't think in government or in any business, you should be able to be the boss of that for 10, 20, 30 years. And that's got to rotate. But one person that genuinely is thinking to themselves every day when they go to work, how can I make football better for the people that love it? The, the, the stakeholders, be it the players, the fans, that's the utopia. But because there's so much money involved, I just, I just can't, and I've gone so far, I just can't see us getting back to that. And the thing is, the utopia is there if you look at um, what FIFA says of itself. And that is the irony of it. Um, if you listen to the official discourse of FIFA, it's all for the good of the game. Equality, integration, distribution of wealth, education programs. And if you take it literally, you think, actually, you know what? That's pretty cool, that. The only problem, of course, is that the praxis, is that the implementation 
goes, flies in the face of all these beautiful principles, which is where you bring in the outside control over FIFA. Like, for example, you've got a prime minister. It's just an example picked at random and, you know, in an imaginary country. You've got a prime <laughs> minister who has flouted let's, something called the ministerial code, right? Now, it's not up to this prime minister to decide what the code is or to decide whether he's broken the code or not. We quite agreed on that. It should be somebody from the outside who is in charge of it and says, you naughty boy, you've done it. You should be punished. In the case of FIFA, we have um, a situation where the naughty boy, because they're all boys, you know, the naughty boy is being caught red-handed almost every single, single day, but there is nobody from the outside to tell him, sorry, man, you can't do that. And if you do that, you're going to be in trouble. I have spoken. <laughs> <laughs> when you speak, everybody listens, Philippe. But there were some quite a lot of questions about, you know, the the sort of sharing the wealth, I guess, and and that links a little bit with what you were saying, Archie, about more teams winning things. Brian says, I know it's an old chestnut; it's probably illegal in terms of labour laws, but to protect the competitive aspect, spirit of the football league pyramid, isn't the case for a salary cap inescapable? To recognise the success of clubs, set this as a percentage of genuinely earned income. Is a wage cap a, a good idea, Jordan? Uh, yes. I mean, one of one of the long list of things that I've got in prepping for this show, one of my more serious ideas, because most of it's nonsense, as you'll hear very, very shortly, um, <laughs> is the, 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 the pursuits of trying to find the legal way of doing it. Now, as the last questioner kind of asked, I don't know if the the horse is bolted too far now. We kind of just, we, we can't even go back there. But I love the idea of what happens in American sports where there are wage caps in, in most of their major sports. And it's a little bit like the whole discussion around F1. And is it the car or the driver? Is Hamilton the best? Or is it, I think it's a little bit same in football. I would love a, to have a game whereby we genuinely knew who the best managers were based off of the two main things that I think make up a manager and a coach. A, understanding the game. Secondly, understanding people. That's coaching and management. If you understand football, you can read football and you can understand people, that's coaching. And I would love every manager, all 20 in the Premier League and across all countries across the world, to start from a period of, right, you're going to get 50 million or 100 million, whatever it is. It's like fantasy football, is. basically. This is, this is what you've and got. Basically, basically, basically. But it's a real test then of who the best, the best really are. Pep Guardiola, we know, is a phenomenal genius. He's, he's an amazing manager. But I would love to see him alongside Sean Dyche without going to the, the stereotype. I know he's been sacked sure. now, but someone like that with the same budget to really ascertain who really is the best. Would the budgets be different in different divisions? I mean, you can't have Stevenage having the same budget as, as Manchester United. or can, I mean, can you? Well, that makes it... well, if the money's there, why not? Why can't give Stevenage a hundred million to spend if if, that, if that's if that's what they if that's what they have whatever the figure you have you agree is 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 whatever it is but at least it's a level playing field I'd love to see a world where a football world where that is indeed the case I sort of get it but it's got hasn't it Philippe got to be a percentage of what you have uh, yeah the, the salary cap I think first of all um, you would find ways to make it perfectly legal and uh, in accordance with the European law and. British law. I don't think that would necessarily be a problem, uh, but there is no real um, impetus for the big guys to do that. And the big guys control most of the big organizations. So we're not getting, going anywhere. So, and we've seen also what's happened with financial fair play. Um, when UEFA um, started 
just threw the idea in, in, in the public square, and it was Platini at the time, in another incarnation. Um, it was just an idea, just like that. Oh, let's be people, you know, let's have clubs which compete fairly, which, you know, but not a bad idea. As soon as they started discussing the particulars, which is what matters, the grainy detail, the clubs were involved. And obviously the clubs decided, well, you know what? We're not too keen on that. So we'll agree on these general principles, blah, blah, blah. And then and then you realize that even those rules were being flouted, which is quite extraordinary. But there's no reason why you could not have uh, yes, uh, a proportion of uh, the uh, wage uh, package of each club cannot be more than, let's say, 40%. I mean, I'm being strict here because most people would say 50% of the, of the turnover. The accounting has got to be totally uh, clean and transparent, which it hasn't been. We know that. There have been numerous examples of it uh, by clubs X, Y and Z. We don't need to say which they are. Um, and if you if you had that already, and, and if you also you could take into account, yes, I think the proportion of uh, the way you distribute your money as well, because at the moment it's a reward for winning. If you look, and also it depends on the country you come from when it comes to the Champions League and the European competitions as well, because you don't share the same pot of money. Very complicated. But anyway, the money is, is distributed in a way that encourages the growth of a super elite. So you could decide, well, actually, no, we're going to put far less money. And that's very easy to do. I'm very close to uh, the German situation, obviously. And I think that it is a reason why the, the, the of the top five leagues, the closest it comes to Utopia as a football fan is here because the fans, in lots of cases, effectively own the clubs. And that, for me, would be a key element of it is removing investor influence in as many cases as possible so that we avoid situations like Oldham, like Berry, like Macclesfield in the future. And I think, look, German football is not perfect by, by any means, but it's, it's, the best, it's the best thing going in terms of giving fan representation because even here... There are people who are championing the idea of it wouldn't it be good to get rid of 50 plus one, the rule that maintains that without going too deep into the mechanics of that, that the fans remain the majority shareholders. That you you lower the chances of of somebody coming in and just making a football club for profit and not for the community, because that is the real strength of of so many of these clubs here and that's what makes football special here when a side like Eintracht Frankfurt who who are still tied to their fans inextricably are able to go and win a Europa League it makes it that bit more special all right let me do some quick fire questions on like the pyramid and the setup of competitions you can say yes or no or give me like 20 seconds before we end part one um Leo says change the points awarded four points for a win Two points for a score draw, one point for a goalless draw. Might make games more interesting. Philippe? No, no. Okay. <laughs> oh, you said be quick. I said, no. no, I mean, I like a goalless draw, right? Like, I'm, I'm, yeah, same. Okay. Uh, three up, three down between the EFL and the National League. Archie? Yes. Yeah, I don't, it's only, it's two, it's two and two at the moment. Why not? Makes perfect sense. Um, Lewis, take the top six out of the Carabao Cup, 
So it's a cup they don't have to worry about. Guaranteed different winner every year. Winner goes into Europe. Um, same winners of cups every year gets boring. Jordan. No. Very pleased to see, though, Jordan. Uh, maybe the first recorded time when you've thought about... Oh! <laughs> and of all the questions as well, but the least the least serious one, um, no. I think you're probably... I mean, like, the the tournament's not as exciting. I mean, I don't... Yeah, I, I understand. The League Cup is something that could... Something could happen. This is that Strauer and Spurs says, Scottish top four or whatever allowed into the Carabao Cup. Would genuinely love to see how they'd get on as opposed to uh, one European night a decade. What about, you know, collating all the League Cups, English and Scottish, together, Philippe? I, I, to be honest, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think, it, anyway, there are precedents. There are Welsh clubs taking part in the Engl- English FA Cup. Mm-hmm. Why not? I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I, 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 I saw a question along these lines which was suggesting, wouldn't it be great if Manchester City got to go to Arbroath on a Tuesday yeah. night? Yeah. It would be great. Uh, that would be great. It would be great. Love to see um, it. All right, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll go on the pitch of how to change the game. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Five days until the live tour. Um, uh, as Barry tweeted yesterday, we filmed something yesterday, which I think is, as he said, is worth the admission fee alone. Yeah, no spoilers. Uh, uh, on Monday, we're in Leeds um, uh, with Jonathan Wilson and John Bruin. Jordan's coming to Birmingham. Um, uh, <laughs> he has his own plans. Uh, John John Bruin will be there too. Uh, Philippe, you're coming to Manchester next Sunday uh, with Johnny Lou uh, coming in for Lars, uh, who is out injured. Can, can I, sorry, can, can I just yeah. say, Max, of all the people to bring in, that is like a serious, oh. like, that's like having, I don't know, Rashford out injured and then bring Ronaldo <laughs> off the bench. That, that is a real, real strong. No, well, Lars, I love Lars. Sound like it, it? Say, doesn't sound like it. Doesn't sound like it. Absolutely right. I came up um, wrong. <laughs> Jonathan Wilson uh, is uh, coming to Dublin with us um, uh, because Lars is out with Mark Langdon. And then uh, Friday, the 8th of July, in Hackney with Troy Townsend, Jonathan Wilson, Nicky Bandini. Saturday, uh, Hackney Empire, Ellis James, Barney Ronnie, Sid Lowe, and then Philippe and Jonathan Wilson in Glasgow. There will be merch available on tour and online as well. Right, uh, let's go on the pitch. Uh, and this, I got this was interesting from Jacko, who said, from 2023-24, the Dutch FA have proposed to have kick-ins, 30-minute halves with a clock that stops when the ball leaves play, five-minute sin bins and unlimited substitutes. They're going to do this in the second division. Um, so I thought we could break those down uh, and do it in the order that he said. Kick-ins instead of throw-ins. Um, Archie. Never. 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 Are you telling me that Rory Delap's legacy was for nothing? Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I see the that. The art of the long throw. We're going to lose that. 
True. No. And you also lose the hardest skill in football, which is volleying it back to the thrower. You know, we just suddenly exactly. two players just boots out of play. <laughs> but, but someone did suggest, actually Dave said, look, rugby style tap free kicks, which is slightly different, I guess. As in terms of if I get fouled, I can get up and just start dribbling. I don't have to play it to someone else. I don't necessarily have a problem with that as an idea. And like corners, just get it, run to the corner, just off you go. I don't know. The the problem with the throw-in is the fact that the the team which has the ball is effectively at a disadvantage because it's 10 v 11. So, but on the other hand, there are ways, and Liverpool have showed it, that you can use throw-ins very in a very inventive manner. And I would love to see the stats. I'm sure there are some, but ever, since they've been using this throw-in coach, um, they barely gave, give the ball away uh, on their own throw-ins, which is the very opposite of, and Jordan will agree with me, Arsenal, who always lose it <laughs> on throw-ins. So it's possible. So I, I don't know. It's it's a quirk of the game. Yeah. Uh, it's not a new idea. I remember Pelé actually suggesting that and transforming b- basically throw-ins into free kicks. Yeah, and actually you just don't and, want, you wouldn't want people just lumping it in the box. It would have to be just like a side foot pass. What about- yeah, and there's no way, yeah. yeah, sorry. No, what about what about 30 minute halves with a clock that stops? A lot of people got in touch about time-wasting and finding it very frustrating. Jordan, what do you think about having, a bit like rugby, I guess? I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. I, I, saw, I saw that one as well online and I'm, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think time-wasting is an issue. I think referees find it difficult to, to, to either remember or count was a back end of games and you're thinking, how the hell have you got, you know, I don't know, five minutes there. It was clearly no more than two sort of things. So I think for fairness, I think, yeah, that, that would be... See, I'm, I'm, my, I'm really passionately things. against this idea of a clock because... Thank you. Specifically, Thank that's you. okay. Specifically because one of the best moments <laughs> in football is, is re- whether you're winning or losing, your reaction at the ground just going... How long, or 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 um, or just going? You know, how is that only two minutes? Like you said, and also that's your rationale, man. No, but no, no, no. But like, but injury time has been such a huge part of football, right? Because you don't know exactly when the game's going to end. And whereas in rugby, I hate that bit in rugby where they just know it's ended, and someone boots out of play and they start celebrating. I just, I love the not knowing. You got a point. To be fair, in basketball, it's the same. If you're eight points up with, you know. I don't know, 20 seconds to go, they'll just bounce the ball for the last yeah. 10 or seconds. Or NFL, they just sit down, they just sit on the ball, don't they? Yeah, no, it's a, you're, you're right. Some of, the, some of the greatest moments in football history have come after 19 minutes. This is it. I want more skullduggery. I want more shithousery in football. What will this do to Atletico Madrid? Like, I want the way that you have the last 10 minutes of the game and you're running down the clock and you're going to the corner flag. More of this. Like... I think that, yeah, a, a little bit of play acting here and there. Not not too much, obviously, but I think it adds something to it in terms of particularly when you're a smaller team, like having a 30-minute half where it, it's put on and off the clock, this is just going to push I the game more in the direction of your Manchester I, City. I don't follow that I don't want this. This is, this is not good. Well, well, because it's going to make it even cleaner in terms of how much time they're going to have to attack you. If the ball is out of play more, then they've got more opportunities to attack you and actually you're going to have more time. Whereas, you know, as, as I'm sure you've played in some Sunday league games, Max, Max and uh, actually a mate of mine was telling me that once they were playing against a team where uh, they, they they turned up with eight and they were against 11 and the only way they could really run down the clock was just every time they got the chance, they'd boot the ball out, but as far away as possible so that the other team would have to run a mile to get the ball. You know, this is the kind of stuff we want. 
Well, I think the, the problem, I, I'm not too sure about the 30 minutes um, thingy. It, it does work in rugby, uh, it must be said, but football is not quite the same game, he said, like, you know, revealing the truth that nobody knew. Um, but it's, it's more a question of keeping um, in check the amount of time that is actually wasted on, on the pitch, which is, I think, very frustrating. I cannot see why this shouldn't be done by somebody who is outside, uh, who is not the referee. Not even the assistant referee. Somebody who's, okay, break and play, puff. Starts again, puff. And then we would add up, you know, uh, as we, you know, like those substitutions, some of them take 15 seconds when you're behind. Some of them take close to a minute, you know. Um, so that, that, there wouldn't be any problem with that. And also, what would, um, you could also get more playing time by punishing some behavior on the pitch. And I'm, perhaps I'm jumping the gun here, but I have a real thing that when the referee signals a throw-in or a free kick, <laughs> the opposing side takes the ball, walks 10, years, 10 yards back, or kicks it a little bit further, or tries to give it to the opposite, you know, the right the guy, but <laughs> yeah. it's a kind of ball that is kind of lobbed, you know, over the head, and you've lost another 20 seconds, and that should be punishable, not by death, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that. It should be punishable <laughs> by a yellow card immediately. And and this way, I can tell you, you would already gain, what, three, four minutes yeah. of actual play per game. Um, Ollie says, slightly differently, but sort of similar in terms of get, letting the game flow, allow physios on the pitch to treat players as the game is going on. Removes all time-wasting injuries. Ooh. I don't like that one. Yeah, like, like in rugby. rugby. Yeah, I, I don't like that Why one. Not? I, even even in rugby, it would be fun. Even, I know this why they do it in rugby, I, I, but even in rugby, when I watch it, I don't like the idea that. I mean, how do they know how serious the injury is? If if it's something that's really serious, do you want the game still carrying on? Just seeing some guy have a leg broken and hanging off the wrong way, and the game still going on, just makes me a bit like I don't like. I don't like that. No, no. I mean, I guess obviously, obviously, if you they you know there would be occasions where you stopped play i don't you know they wouldn't just sort of carry on you know with with someone but just the visual of seeing someone getting it getting attended to yeah. and the game still carrying it's tricky, on i guess it's, it's weird it's tricky, it's in the box then isn't it and then you know and then oh that as well yeah if they've done about four rolls after they've been tackled i think that's the situation because you know okay it's not particularly serious so just go on then and actually, it might actually give an incentive for players to get up because they know that, well, the game's still carrying on. And that's the whole incentive to going down anyway. I'm not totally against it. I, I, I can see there are problems with it. CC says, um, this is offside. A lot of questions on offside. If a player is offside when the pass is played, but runs back onside before touching the ball, that should be allowed. The player has not gained an advantage if they're subsequently drawn level with defenders. <laughs> if you... If you've surprised the defender, like if the defender doesn't have an eye on where you are, I, th I think it is an advantage because it means you can come out of a space where the defender's not allowed to go. And that is an advantage, no? Yeah, I think you're right. Um, uh, Warren says, uh, I'm just a messenger here, Archie, by the way. Uh, offside rule needs amending. <laughs> this I do agree with. The offside rule needs amending so that it only requires one opposition player to be between the attacking player and the goal to play him onside regardless of whether the keeper goes walkabout or not. So I would say actually two players, hang on, it should be one player and the keeper doesn't count. Do you see what I mean? So I think there have been goals where a keeper has come out 
and the attacking team has been denied a goal because the player was ahead of the goalkeeper. So there was a defender between him and the goal, but he was given offside correctly because he was beyond the goalkeeper. And actually, you shouldn't reward the goalkeeper for being out of position. Because the goalkeeper, unless he's very, unless like George Graham has gone wild, the goalkeeper is not playing the offside trap. Does that make any sense? Yes, but I fundamentally disagree with you, Max. Because a player is a player is a player. Sorry. Just like Rabio is Rabio is Rabio, a player is a player is a player. No, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah, 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 that's all right. We're making the T-shirt out of that. Okay, extra time and penalties. Reese says, the player who was fouled in the box has to take the penalty. If it's a handball, it's the player closest to it. No more handing it to your best penalty taker when they were nowhere near the play. Jordan. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Let's get these defenders practising their penalties and showing us what they're getting paid for. I mean, the idea that a centre-back can't strike a ball cleanly, I find a bit weird at professional level. Okay, you're not going to strike it as well as a forward can, granted. But no, I'm 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 all for the person that if you were fouled, you've got to take the penalty. That means you've got to practice your penalties and you don't have a designated taker. Does that go for free kicks as well? No. Nah, or is different. that different? Because penalties such a penalties such a high risk thing. You know, it's it's not it's not mm-hmm. the same as a free kick. So yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like it. I th- and it's more fun, right? I mean the football's about entertainment. It's it's fun. You're right. If it's the last minute and yeah, you know. Joel Matip has to take the penalty. That is it's fun, right? And and also strikers would like that as well because their total at the end of the season, there's always this kind of beef between strikers. Oh, yeah, half his penalties, half his goals are penalties. I got my, I think Son got, didn't, 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 didn't take one, one yeah. Premier League, mm-hmm. is it one, yeah. So he should get the edge over Salah for me because goals are goals, but that, that would that would alleviate that. That's true. A goal is a goal is a goal, though. A goal is a goal is a goal. Philippe might say. FPL says, let the goalkeeper move freely within the six-yard box on penalties. Penalties rarely fit the crime. This makes it less sure of a goal. Mm. I, I'm okay with that, yeah. I think that the rule, I'm anyway, okay of that. the one foot on, on the line when the ball is struck, um, is there's a hint of absurdity in it, I must say. Um yeah, I wouldn't have any problem with that. Keeper can keeper can move when the, once the player starts to run up. Keeper can do what he likes. Yeah, thing. I mean it's a bit it's a kind of a halfway house between what we have now and what they used to have in in um, the American league. You remember when the players had to run towards the, the goal? Yeah, I love that. Which I absolutely, you know, we all love that and we all want it back, but it's never going to happen, unfortunately, Max. Never. Archie, I I, I had something. It's it, it it's not entirely serious as you'll as you'll see, but I had something for for in game penalties, which was. Whichever player has given away the penalty should be given control of the stadium PA and they get the opportunity to try and atone for the error by putting them off. Or alternatively, they get five seconds to whisper something to the penalty taker before retreating. <laughs> okay. is, 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 it, is it open to say whatever you want, Archie? You can, in that five seconds, you can cuss his mum, you can talk about his bad breath, you can say that you know your transfer fee was inflated. Exactly. It's just between. It's just between the player, the the, the 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 fowler and the penalty taker, which means that you know all sorts of things could happen. Like you 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 don't know what's being said in those five seconds. And also, for me, it's important that that rule becomes applicable at lower levels. You know, not everyone's got a stadium PA. I think that happens at lower levels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the idea of Jordan going straight for your mum. I'm not sort of. I'm to pick on you on this pod, Jordan. On that level, you know. 
Just as you just think Harry Kane is probably just like he's cool and calm and collected enough for someone to just go, you know, your mum's your mum's taking some penalties or whatever, and you're like, what are you do- what are you doing? I'm just gonna put this in the bottom left hand corner. Ian says, in a penalty shootout, all eleven players take a penalty rather than just five. Players sent off counts as a miss. If it's tied after twenty-two, the managers take one. <laughs> oh, then he says, yeah. then yeah, that is really That's good, a nice isn't one, it? that. Yeah. Yes. Suddenly, I want Roma to get to the final. <laughs> Suddenly. Then he says, then the mascots keep working through the staff list until it's done. <laughs> oh, you know, God, the social media, Twitter admin. I'm, I'm stepping up now. But what about these clubs who have got live animal mascots? Does that mean in Cologne we've got Hennis stepping up to take a penalty? <laughs> what about Benfica? Yeah, I've made this point. Is about- an eagle going to swoop in? <laughs> I've made this point that there are too many penalties and the Paul Doyle law has to, you know, is a really good idea, which I've suggested a million times on this podcast. But, you know, don't give a penalty for every foul in the box. If it's not a goal scoring opportunity, it shouldn't be a fa- It shouldn't be a penalty. People love free kicks in the box. And if you deny a goal scoring opportunity outside the box, it should still be a penalty. Jordan, you'd raised your hand. Just, yeah, just briefly on the penalty thing. One of my more serious ideas for change would be on penalties. You often hear about footballers talking about the heartbeat of the clubs, the tea lady, the kit man Dave, you know, the guy that mans the security at the car park at the at the training ground. All right, if they're so important, I say bring them in. So after the first five <laughs> players, you get, you know, the tea lady in, you then get, you know, the PR man second kit. If they're so important in how we got to this final in this moment, let's bring it, let's get them all involved. I think we would have a problem, Jordan, because then the clubs would recruit. Ah, <laughs> yes, yes. So, yes. absolutely. And there would now be a new market with inflated fees and transfer fees and wages for tea You're ladies right. and, and community right. managers. City have signed a world-class barista. Yeah, right. <laughs> Matt Letizier is, is is making you bangers and mash, isn't he? Just so we can... Uh... Anyway, um, uh, this is a question from Football in Berkshire saying, if you receive a red card in a match, you're suspended from the next match against that team. Why should anyone else benefit? Obviously tricky because seasons change and, and you know, teams get relegated, and et cetera, et cetera. And you might have a three-game ban. Does exactly. that mean you're like banned for three games against, you know, didn't all those Leeds players who just went mad at the end of the season? And, and the problem is that red, red cards in a, in a cup competition, Max. Yeah. That's it. But I, I quite like the idea is- of just Dan James is banned for three games against, I don't know who it was, Watford, who, whoever it was. And that might not happen for 10 years, but he's got it pending. <laughs> but the, the thing with that as well, that's flawed because, okay, let's say you're a team in the relegation zone. You're playing, I don't know, Man United and Ronaldo gets sent off in against you. So let's, let's say you're, I don't know, you're, you're Burnley, you're in, the, you're in the bottom three. Ronaldo gets sent off. The next game that Man United play may well be against one of your relegation rivals. So you may want Ronaldo out for that. But do you know what? Sorry. To play. Sorry, me yeah, flip yeah. It. To, to, to play. play yeah. Do you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not for that one. Uh, this is from Dan. Uh, this I've put under perhaps not as stupid as they first sound. Dan says, before anyone is allowed to play, coach or watch football, they have to read the laws of the game and take a test. Um, I, I think this is a really great idea. Just the, uh, certainly TV pundits, TV pundits and managers, absolutely, who don't know the laws of football. Actually, and everybody on Twitter. I, I, I mean, I, this is the best <laughs> idea we've had. You get a little, like, instead of a blue tick, you, you get a little football next yeah, to your... Yeah, really uh, nice idea. You're certified. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John says, 
make the quadrant slightly bigger in the corner spot and tell the players the ball must be totally inside the blooming thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Alex says, I'd charge people to comment on referees' decisions. Money to charity would stop 90% of complaining. That's a a good idea. Um, Before I go on to really stupid ideas that were sent in, um, does anyone have any other suggestions that they, I mean, I, I presume... You know, Philippe, you've probably got podcasts worth of actually really important things, but I don't know if anyone had come up with other possible changes for football. Okay, stupid ideas. Bob says, international players have to wear every cap they receive. Yes. <laughs> uh, Adam, a goalkeeper, has to wear a cape when he runs forward for a last-minute corner. Um, uh, Chris, every game has one. every game has one cow on the pitch at all times. Home team gets to pick breed and sex of cacao. Discuss. Um, Rob says, when I was little, I used to think that there should be a massive oak tree in the centre circle of every football pitch that players could hide in and jump down onto other players. (laughs) Fouls wouldn't count if you jumped down from the tree. I still think the idea has legs or branches, he says. Um, Marco says, crocodiles, loads of crocodiles. Lots of people said, you know, tigers, lions. It's just lions. On the pitch, manning the turnstiles, presenting the highlight shows, training the next generation of coaches, numbers painted on crocodiles for the FA Cup draw, all shirts to be designed like crocodiles, new stadiums to be crocodile-friendly, etc. Uh, thanks so much for uh, uh, getting in touch with your ideas. We may do another one of those at some point. Uh, that'll do for part two. Uh, part three, we'll round up any other business. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Uh, welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, just to say that during this part, um, my uh, recording equipment failed. For reasons that nobody can explain. It was not incompetence on my part. I notice halfway through. So you'll get the quality of a Zoom call, then the quality of a voice note, and then the pod will end. But look, I don't say a lot in this part. It's mainly Philippe, and that's more important than me anyway. So look, here it is. Uh, Philippe, the Blatter and Platini trial began yesterday. What can you say and what can't you say? And um, et cetera. We've waited a long time for this, and uh, you know because the, the the facts which are at the heart of the uh, of this uh, trial, um, you know, date back to a long, long time ago. And uh, basically, um, maybe we should, you know, try to sum it up. It's not very easy, but basically, uh, the former president of FIFA and the former president of UEFA uh, are appearing 
before um, a federal criminal court in Bellinzona, so in the Italian part of Switzerland, until from um, yesterday until the 22nd of June, for suspected fraud, disloyal management, breach of trust, and forgery. And um, they, I think the maximum penalty for those offences in Swiss law is five years in jail. At the heart of this, and which is obviously disputed by Monsieur Blatter and Monsieur Platini, is a payment uh, that was made of two million Swiss francs, uh, with another payment of 224, I think, thousand Swiss francs for, um, in 2011, for work that uh, Michel Platini had done much, much earlier when he was actually um, one of Seb Blatter's advisors. And uh, he was already paid for that, but they both said, well, there was a, a kind of oral contract, which, to be honest, absolutely nobody knew about, apart from them, uh, which was that he would receive um, an extra payment of um, 2 million Swiss francs, and uh, that for some reason, uh, Michel Platini remembered about this like seven or eight years later, sent an invoice which was paid. Um, and this was then put to the knowledge of the Swiss criminal system saying, we've got something very odd going on here, an oral contract, excuse me, an invoice which is delivered years and years after the supposed services, blah, 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 blah. And the Swiss justice system decided, well, actually, no, there's something worth looking at here. Uh, and so basically what we have now is that two most powerful men in, in football um, up until 2015, are, and they hate each other's guts as well, <laughs> are put together in, in tribunal because they hate each other's guts. Blatter hates Platini's guts because Platini betrayed him by supporting Qatar in 2010. And Platini hates Blatter because he considers that Blatter actually had a diabolical trap set for him with this payment, right? And the fact that he had to produce an invoice. So you can imagine what the atmosphere is going to be like. Uh, apparently, I'm told that the prosecution uh, had a very strong case, um, that there were a number of testimonies which were quite embarrassing. We shall see in the days to come for Michel Platini and Seb Blatter. But also at the back, in which is extraordinary, this is really like a Greek tragedy, so, um, yes, it's popcorn time. Um, the justice system in Switzerland moves at the speed of a, of a glacier. We all know that. But we're finally there. We've waited a very long time. We have to remember that Platini and Blatter were suspended and banned from FIFA in 2015. We are in 2022. It took a very long time. So, uh, but yes, it's, uh, it's, uh, the film is going to be fantastic. I, and I think we we now have to think who will play Blatter, who will play Platini, who will play Infantino. Um, this is going to be great. This is going to be bad fellas, basically. Lacazette's gone to Leon. Uh, I'll, I'll go back to you as well, Philippe, because it's interesting on Leon itself. And you know, um, I suppose you and Jordan can talk from an Arsenal perspective about the legacy of Alexandre Lacazette. Well, I, I think yeah, Jordan. You know, what do you think? I mean, I. I don't, I'm, I'm not sad to see him go. And this is the Arsenal fan speaking. I'm not sad to see him go. But I'm, in a way, I'm, I wish him really, really good luck. He always gave his best for the club. His best was not quite good enough, perhaps. I'm certainly not at the end of his stay, but good luck to him. I, yeah, I mean, just similar. I mean, it, it, it feels like it's time to move on. He's underwhelmed a little bit. I was really a big fan of his. He was the closest forward I kind of identified with in terms of style to Ian Wright, a real box man. And I'm just not sure if you're allowed to be just a box man anymore, unless you're going to put up 30 goals in which he, you know, he, he, I think his highest league total is like 16. 
Um, he's never got 20 goals in, in a league season for Arsenal. So we paid a lot of money for him. I think just to be fair to him, he would argue that six months after he arrived and being promised he'd be the main man, Bamiang arrived and took the limelight away from him. So he would argue he's not had the real infrastructure around him to be the guy. But yeah, season just gone. He wasn't particularly great. Um, I, I'm I'm not sad to see him go, but he was a he was a forward that I I always enjoyed watching. Um, on Leon, there's the sort of update that Liverpool fans will will sort of shudder when they hear it, right? Yeah, there's big, big news, which is the fact that uh, Foster Gillette, a name that indeed will uh, make n- numerous Liverpool fans shudder, Foster Gillette, the son of, um, is about to take over uh, a majority sh- um, sh- shareholding in Lyon, which is, I must say, when I heard that, I thought this is absolutely extraordinary because we're talking about the club, uh, Jean-Michel Olas's club, and Jean-Michel Olas has been such a huge figure in French football, one of the... Uh, patriarchs, as it were, of French football for so long, one of the most important people. And the fact that it, it means like he's going to get out of the picture, you know, uh, and is being replaced by yet another American investor, as is the case for many other uh, French clubs and European clubs. Not necessarily great news. Um, apparently, the investment for Foster Gillette is about 600 million euros. Rem- remember as well that Gillette Jr., uh, was also the guy who tried, if I'm not mistaken, to buy Hearts and also tried to buy Derby. Um, so, which proves that he's a lifelong Lyon fan, of course, because he always wanted to, clearly to finish there. Um, yeah, it is um, it is worrying, I must say, um, to see that. And because it really is part of a more general Americanization of um, football, club football in Europe. And, you know, we, we are very strong in criticizing nation states going into uh, football clubs, and rightly so, and hold, trying to hold them to account. We've also got to think about this mass arrival of American capital within, um, within football in Europe and what it means for the future of the game. Obviously, it's a completely different thing. You know, we're not talking about sports washing here. We're, we're talking about completely changing the commercial side of, of football and um, because these people are not coming because they love football or whatever, they're coming because they've got a plan in mind. And this plan is to make a lot of money out of this, and which is not necessarily the best news for, for, for us. And the fact that they can take over a historic club, even if it's not a very old club, Lyon is only um, 55 years old, or not, not even that, but they take over a club which is so powerful and is, is in itself absolutely extraordinary. Um, and, and, and the fact that it is Foster Gillette, I mean, I'm speechless, basically. Uh, now, Archie, the Tuts, the Tut Tuts, the Archies. We've had the Sids, the Bandinis. These are your awards ceremony. Jordan in the break was very upset that he didn't have the Jordans. The JJBs. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that's true. Isn't that that's something a, to do with Wigan? Oh, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. You never know. Uh, so, Archie, well, yes, you can give out your awards in Birmingham, uh, Jordan. Um, so look, pick your three favourites, Archie, because we've gone on too long. The three favourites, okay. Um, so the Jon Snow Comeback Award. Um, this, this, sadly, from my perspective, goes to Felix Magat, who nobody saw coming back into German football at any stage, and yet was pulled out of the fires by Freddie Bobic to rescue Hertha Berlin, and he did, albeit in the relegation playoff. Uh, which brought along uh, also probably one of my favourite quotes of the season from uh, Prince Boateng. Uh, I was speaking to him after the game 
in my in my post-match interviewer role and asked him, you know, how did they get this spirit to to beat Hamburg? And he said, the boys listened to the daddy. I spoke to them. They listened. I asked them if they're hungry and they all told me they're hungry. And I told them, let's go and eat. So it's it's a bit Zlatan-y, but, you know, like... Fair play to Prince Boateng, and I have to say, sadly, fair play to Felix Magat as well. The Homer Simpson Hedge Retreat slash Hubris Award, uh, that goes to Hassan Salihamidzic, uh, the Bayern Sporting Director, who, when Bayern TV uh, were doing a reaction to the draw that they'd got Villarreal, uh, he commented that it was a manageable draw before chuckling. That did not end out well for him. Just finally, I think, um, because it relates to Football Weekly as well, uh, I'm I'm going for the Welcome to Mordor Award uh, in terms of aesthetic here and, and creating that. And the Eintracht Frankfurt fans, after they won the Europa League and they came back to their city hall, the amount of red flares uh, as their team came out, I've never seen anything quite like it. It was, to the outsider, it might have been intimidating. The reason it comes back to Football Weekly is that a listener got in touch on the day and said to me, um, so I I work in a place which happens to have a balcony view over the City Hall. If you want to come by and watch it at any point, just 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 let me know. And I said, yes, very much so. <laughs> so the, the wonders and the powers of, of, of Football Weekly, Max, in the, yeah, uh, wouldn't have got to see that otherwise. So so thank you to that anonymous listener. Uh, so I have a number of apologies. Firstly, an apology to uh, the listeners and producer Joel, because my SD card just said it was full halfway through part three. I don't know, how, <laughs> I don't know what that means for the recording of the pod, but uh, I'm doing a voice note now for the end of it. Uh, my second apology is to Tony and amongst others. I said Australia and Peru were battling out for the last place at the World Cup. Of course, New Zealand are playing Costa Rica as next week as well. So big Antipodean vibes of will there be any or none at the World Cup? Uh, we will find out. And finally, an email from Jack who says, uh, Dear Max, Barry and Co, as an avid listener to Football Weekly, I gain a lot of my football knowledge and insight from the two of you and the outstanding guests you have on. However, this particular story of knowledge I gained and put to use was not football-related, but was indeed the French language. It's important to note that at school I did not learn French. On a recent trip to France with my family over May half term, I was greeting every local with how I often hear you greet Philippe, bonjour, ça va, thinking it was a simple hello or good day. Uh, most of them greeted it with a smile and a bonjour back. I did, if I didn't understand fully what they said, I did what anyone else out of their language depth would do, smiled and nodded and walk away. Unfortunately, on one occasion, I did not just smile, nod or walk away, but thought I would push the boundaries and try and be kind to the person who I happened to converse with. Upon their reply to what I know now is effectively me asking them, hello, how are you? The reply I got was totally alien, to which would have been the absolute perfect time to smile, nod and carry on with my day. However, I feel like that would have been a poor portrayed as rude but what I said next was considerably worse two days into our trip across the channel the poor lady who had been unknowingly inquired as to how she was was greeted with a ça va bien merci from myself 
Again, not knowing what this is, I was merely replying, (laughs) I often hear Philippe replying to you. My sister-in-law, who knows considerably more French than I do, informed me that I just said, it's fine, thanks, to her reply of, not too good, my cat has just died. (laughs) (laughs) And And I just ignored her and made it seem as if I couldn't care less. It's safe to say, I will not be repeating anything I do not fully understand again. Obviously, I'm not blaming you or Philippe for my lack of understanding of the French language, but thought that this would make you smile, knowing that by trying to be polite to someone, I was in fact the complete opposite. And if the woman who was clearly still mourning her cat is listening, I'm truly sorry of my language ignorance keep up the amazing work jack <laughs> thank you jack brilliant email uh and thank you uh merci uh, merci philippe au revoir à bientôt à très bientôt max uh, cheers archie cheers uh, cheers jordan Layers. Uh, we'll be back on Monday and then live in Leeds on Monday. Come and buy a ticket. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian. 